trust your intuition. If there's something a little bit iffy, it doesn't matter if they have the connections. It doesn't matter if, that's my personal opinion, it doesn't matter if they can code. It doesn't matter if, if there's no alignment, in the end, it's going to detract from the success of the organization. And I've seen it even at Upstarted. We had some people come and go, and it just wasn't a good fit. And you have to be okay with it being a process and it taking time. Hey everyone, welcome back to part two of our interview with the amazing Diana Baranga, who's the CEO of the non-for-profit Upstart Ed. Before we jump into it though, sorry for skipping a week. Uh, I just got back from Brisbane and instead of sticking by the schedule, I just decided to immerse myself in its humidity and numerous smoothie bites. So Anyway, today we're deep diving into the how-tos of starting a non-for-profit, but of course this idea transfers to social startups or entrepreneurial businesses or really any sort of project where you want that idea to become a product. So Deanna gives very, very relevant and in-depth advice from her journey so far and things she wished she knew when she started back in 2016. So if you're interested also in what Upstart Ed is all about, as well as what Deanna thinks the future will look like for youth and how they're preparing them for that, we discuss that all in part one so you can check that out after. Cool! Let's jump into it. My goal was never to become an entrepreneur or to launch a nonprofit. At the start, my goal was just to create an event that brought value to my community. And then it kind of snowballed. I'm glad that it did. Yeah. <laughs> I think I could have, looking back, had been maybe more intentional and really asked myself from day one is, if this is the kind of impact that I want to make, how can I make sure this impact is sustainable? Mm-hmm. I think it works two ways though, don't you think? It's thinking too much also would uh, startle you and sort of maybe keep you stuck. I feel like it was perfect in your situation because maybe it would have led to overthinking and being like, what sort of change do I want to make from day one? It is. It is overwhelming. Absolutely. And, you know, I have a lot of young people come up to me and say, Deanna, you know, I want to be an entrepreneur, but I have no ideas. And, And then they are afraid to even kind of, pursue entrepreneurship or just just start a project because they feel they have no ideas and you kind of get stuck in this no idea land Mm. and so I'm really grateful that at the start of my journey it wasn't about finding the idea I just I identified the problem and I really fell in love with the problem going back to the first part of this podcast about design thinking I think that's the secret it's don't find the idea that you love because the idea, it will change, the solution will evolve. It's your responsibility to evolve that solution. But that problem, um, that's what's going to keep you up at night. That's what's going to get you through the hard times. So find something you're really passionate about. And that problem can come from anywhere. Maybe it doesn't come, but um, having gone through it, I, I now understand it's like scratch your own itch. What is something that you wish had existed? when you were younger or you were something that exists today, that's a really good starting point. For people who do want to start non-for-profits or just want to start, you know, a startup. <laughs> and so there are a lot more steps than we think, for sure, especially yeah. if we don't know anything about it. And I, we just would love to see how you manage to actually go from the ideas 
to implementing it finally? Right. I'll focus on nonprofits in particular uh, or social enterprises. I think a lot of the stuff is also applicable to different types of companies. So the first thing in the process, at least for me, was finding my tribe. And even before you launch the thing, um, before you promote the thing, at least for me, it's about who are the other people who believe what you believe that can go with you on this journey. And that depends, of course, on the kind of leader that you are, the kind of entrepreneur that you know you 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 want to become. But for me, as an individual, it was about finding that tribe. For nonprofits in particular and social startups, I think that's important because ultimately. It's about having the right community that you need to spearhead this idea and to move it forward and surround yourself with the people who can complement your skills. So for instance, I knew from day one that I didn't have a big network. Um, I'm very passionate about designing the event and the design, like the, the event design, but also the visual design and aesthetic, but I wasn't that good at networking. So I was really curious about this, the fact that Deanna wasn't that good at networking, but managed to find partners for Upstart Ed. So I asked her a little bit more about that. And she said she knew both of them before asking them to join. So the first one was from McGill University uh, and they studied together. So she knew his skill sets as well as who he was as a person. And the other one, they worked together and she held an event. And the person was so interested that they just asked, how can I participate? How can I get involved? So potentially, if you're looking to start something, maybe just start with your inner circle and just see who from them are your sort of people. And then if that doesn't work, then you can start cold calling or cold networking and just seeing what people are like. Maybe, maybe you'll find the perfect person. And so I had to think very carefully about who are the people that I'm going to surround myself with. Mm -hmm. I would say that is really important because even, you know, investors say this, but at the end of the day, people don't necessarily invest just in your idea. They invest in the team. And so team is everything knowing the people you're going to go on this journey with and making sure that you have complementary skill sets and most importantly, that you have common values. And for me, that has been really key to the whole experience because at the end of the day, you can work with different types of characters, but it's that those common values that are going to help you succeed as a team, especially when you're faced with a pandemic and, you know. For sure. And I'm curious to know what values you all share. I, yeah, it's a, it's a hard question um, because it just feels so intuitive, you know, so I can, I can give a few words, but um, I think honesty is a big one between my team and I, uh, candor, we're always very candid with one another. So not going to lie, I had to Google what candid meant and much to the dismay of my English teachers, I thought it was casual or laid back. But it really means saying it how it is or being upfront or being straightforward or blunt, none of which I had in my head. So again, whoops. Kindness, we're like just fundamentally, we work together. So um, it's a big part of who we are as individuals. Yeah, those are, those are, I'd say those are some of the key ones in our team. But just there's something to be said about in my gut. I know that these are the people that I can trust no matter what, you know. And so, 
that has been really important for us, um, especially the candor, but the common values has created the trust that has allowed Upstarted to grow and to thrive and to attract more people to the cause. Because mm-hmm. I feel like if, if those values that don't align, it's a kind of dissonance that people around you start feeling. I guess at the end of the day, it's just about listen to your gut and uh, every opportunity, see what, what does your intuition say about this person? Because sometimes there's alignment in terms of like, oh, we, we kind of have the same idea. So like you and I, Joe, we're like, okay, yeah, yeah, we're very passionate about education and oh, maybe we could work together. And then you'd want to engage in some, you know, don't jump straight into it. Just try to do a couple of collaborations, see how it feels, see if there's an alignment. And even if you don't know what your values are, I bet your intuition will tell you this is a good fit or a bad fit. Mm-hmm. And trust your intuition. If there's something a little bit iffy, doesn't matter if they have the connections. It doesn't matter if, that's my personal opinion, doesn't matter if they can code, doesn't matter if, if there's no alignment in the end, this person will detract from the team. Mm-hmm. That's something I firmly believe and I stand by. It's why uh, our culture is, is strong at Upstart Ed. It's because, you know what? doesn't matter how talented someone is, if they don't fit into with those values, um, to keep that culture, in the end, it's going to detract from the success of the organization. And I've seen it even at Upstart Ed. We had some people come and go, and it just wasn't a good fit. And you have to be okay with it being a process and it taking time. For the longest time, I thought there was something wrong with maybe Upstart Ed, or I thought maybe something wrong with me. Like, uh, am I trying to find a tribe that doesn't exist? And don't give up on that. You know, there were times where I almost gave up on finding that tribe. But it's the team for me, personally, it's everything. You, you know, people say, I wake up in the morning every day because I'm so passionate about what I'm working on. And I, I used to say that up until the pandemic hit, because I personally experienced, uh, you know, some a few months of just pure depression. Uh, I didn't know how Upstart Ed was going to survive. The funding had, you know, been basically pulled away from us for the first few months where mm-hmm. it just that it happened everywhere. And I knew I had to get back into work and find a solution that serves teachers, serves students, uh, make sure my team can still, you know, make a living. And in that time, when I couldn't look to educators to inspire me. I can connect with students to to get inspired because you know what? Like it's just everything fell apart. In that moment, it was the team. So I woke up every single day because I wanted to continue working with these people. And um, so that would be not necessarily a mistake, but the biggest life lesson I've taken from this upstarted experience. And sometimes, you know, I talk to my team and say, Folks, whatever happens, even if we don't get that funding and we have to close up Start Ed, that's okay. We will start something new. As long as we're together, we're going to figure it out. And if this program doesn't work next cohort, that's fine. We're together. We're going to make it happen. Mm-hmm. So it's such a critical part of success, in my opinion. So now we're going into the first event that Deanna and her colleagues ran back in 2016, before Upstart Ed was a non-for-profit, before it was a thing, and how that really signaled the need for it to be created. So essentially, in my mind, I just think the kids were asking, can we have more? And then Deanna and everyone says, more? 
more you want more sure <laughs> and then that's that's the birth story of upstarted so the people who originally organized it, the the core team it was myself my friend bonnie um abdal we had a few other friends what you have to understand is we had previously worked together on a few different things and right before launching this event um some of the members of that core team had launched startup weekend sustainability so startup weekend it's a series of events under this organization called techstars they are global they're really everywhere so we had just organized that event it was awesome the format is it's about two and a half days 54 hours uh, members from the community come together they form teams uh, around ideas they build the prototype they pitch they win something oh so bare bones like you don't even know who you're working with you don't even know i think some some depending on like the rules of different events maybe you come with your founding team but the idea of startup weekend is that you're kind of growing this startup community right and it attracts people who are interested in tech interested in different themes first it was sustainability but i've seen it in fashion fintech um healthcare it depends on the theme of the event and so people show up and we ran that event and i was like man this is such a cool format and that's when i first started thinking i wish this existed for youth why doesn't this exist for younger people and in organizing that event my my team and i we were like wow there's so many incredible speakers in the montreal ecosystem and look at the technology and look at the companies and so that's when i guess the idea started to form about how can we build a bridge all this exciting stuff how can we build that bridge back into high schools i then attended something called the alt mba by seth godin oh right yeah i've done a course by seth but different the bootstrapping one yeah yeah phenomenal i loved and i did that at the start of 2016 and it was one month of reflection and thinking about impact and so that's where the idea of replicating the startup weekend format started forming and so i approached my friends and i was like guys and girls we have to put this together and you know like let's do this team and so for that very first event when we built it for youth in november it was very similar to the startup weekend model but we worked with a teacher at the time to help us adapt to make sure that the journey was educational as opposed to just being about pitching so we incorporated uh, workshops on design thinking, we incorporated workshops on the business model canvas, and we leveraged our community, um, you know, posting in Facebook groups and uh, asking people if they wanted to come speak. And that's really how it started. And it was a lot of, yeah, boots on the ground. Let's try sending a bunch of cold emails to these companies and asking for a little bit of sponsorship to cover like the goodie bags and uh, let's see if we can get the kids to show up and somehow we got you know 40 students to show that's up a in lot. oh my god that's a lot it's a lot 40 students from i think 16 high schools wow to work with us for two and a half days and then we had about half of them say they wanted to they wanted another event and 25 percent of those students became student ambassadors for year two where we developed a conference. So it's really the reason we even created the nonprofit is because the students came up to us saying, you know, we need more, like we want more of this. 
So this is something that comes to Deanna later in the episode, but I think it's so important that I'm just going to edit it right in here, which is the idea of prototyping and making sure that whatever product you have in your head, that it's actually going to be something that people want. And so Deanna gives us three key things to factor in to create a successful idea or a product. Also, don't mind the references of dog toys. Um, It might seem a little bit strange right now, but you'll find out why soon enough. There's something listeners should take away. It's the concept of desirability, feasibility, and viability. So this is the kind of the trifecta when it comes to project building. And so in this case with the dog toys, the very first thing you want to validate is this idea desirable. So it's not about figuring out the business model from day one. It's not about, you know, kind of overcomplicating the idea. It's do people really want this? Do people even want toy dogs? Like maybe they want, you know, cow toys or they want toys of, I don't know, fish or flowers or so you're really trying to the purpose of your first event or first thing should be to validate if your hypothesis, which is children want toy dogs is correct. (laughs) Because if you validate that, then the next step would be, um, is it feasible? Meaning, do we have the capacity to build an event that meets that need? And then the last part would be uh, viability, which means, can we finance this project? So is it desirable? Do people really want this? Or is it just all in my head that dog toys are cool? Toy dogs are cool. Sorry. <laughs> so do people really want these toys? Is there a need? Do children really need these toys? Yes. Great. What kind of context event product service can we offer given our limited resources and budget? Check. And then finally, we want to scale this. How do we make this viable? Where will financing come from? Right. So during upstart in that event, you're already thinking, is it viable? Is it all of that? Is it um, desirable for your clients or your um, future investors potentially? So did you have that idea coming in and so therefore the event was a pilot to see that? Or was were you already considering that before you made that event as well? You know, I was, I think, but not lucky in that sense. I didn't really know about uh, desirability, feasibility, viability. It's an mm. actual concept. Now they're also incorporating sustainability, but it makes so much sense. You know, we came into it. It wasn't that small of an event. It was very involved, but it was a great prototype because it showed us, oh, there's a need for this. Hmm. Okay. Could we do this again? Yes. Okay. So it's feasible. Awesome. And then it became, hmm. How can we make this viable? How can we get the financing needed? And that's why design thinking is important because design thinking starts with the assumption that you need to identify how do you best solve that problem? Does that problem exist? If it does, how do you solve it? So is it desirable? Do people want these toys? Maybe. Yeah. And so creating that event, piloting it, see if people actually want it. If not, going back to the drawing board and just creating potentially a new idea or um and what you or discovering a new need actually because something i didn't mention is you know we, we ran the full event but there are other things you can do um and this is where prototyping is so interesting because you should definitely go just have some interviews ask people do you want these toys maybe they'll tell you no so you don't have to go through the process of building an event you could literally 
put something, make it out of paper and, you know, just do a visual prototype and say, hey, you know what, what if we came and we did something that looks kind of like this? Without much further ado, I give you the Derek Zoolander Center for Kids Who Can't Read Good. What is this? A center for ants! You know what? What if we came and we did something that looks kind of like this or showed them a few slides or however you want to tell the story? Would you want this? Yes or no? No. Okay. So I would say even before you test your prototype, make sure to engage in conversations. Make sure to see if there's an interest because the the dangers that i've seen or it's a bit dangerous when you spend so much time planning something just assuming that it's going to be valuable and then nobody shows up or nobody uses it or you know so just be comfortable in having those interviews having those conversations um and there are smaller ways to prototype even a google form like nowadays before we launch new programs we have this habit of asking people for feedback what are your needs what don't you have so it would be like, um, do you feel, you can ask parents, do you feel your children are lacking toys? If so, is that a financial problem? Or, you know, where do they interact with toys on a daily basis? Is it in the context of their home or did they go to a center? And can you provide us with the name of the center? And then you'd have that same conversation with centers. Mm. Where do you source your toys from? And so engage, those are the conversations which then will tell you, yes, there's a need this is what that solution could potentially look like. Let me prototype and let me test it. And then I guess afterwards, after you know that there's a need, then finding funding, finding sponsors, finding people who really enjoy your mission and are willing to back you. And all of that, that I guess is still hard work, but at least now you know that your product or your um, idea is viable. Yes. And I would say do all of that before you incorporate, you know, we, we didn't, and I guess maybe people have that mental block, but I don't have the nonprofit and, you know, maybe I should incorporate first. And what about my branding and what's my logo look like? It's like, okay, well, <laughs> you're kind of many steps ahead. It's, it's a great exercise to go through if that inspires you, but it shouldn't block you from starting. And the biggest piece is just at the start, be curious and ask questions, have conversations and the idea will come to you. Um, you know, the solution, it, it will reveal itself. You don't, if you feel yourself stuck and you're just kind of like, even we were in that phase when the pandemic hit, we're just like, we don't know what to do. We don't know what to do. And it felt horrible. And we started just talking to teachers. What do you need? What, what do you really need? Like, what are the problems you're facing? Students, what are the problems? Oh, isolation and screen fatigue. So we're like, oh, screen fatigue. So maybe we should have tactile components. And, Teachers were like, yeah, we need resources. Hmm, so maybe, so the user will tell you, um, they will tell you what they need. And then you'll be able to use those needs as constraints or just signals to build the prototype. Now this next bit is about the connections that are really important for Upstart Ed and for them to continue running. So although it's centered around Deanna's audience, it might help to think about your idea and see who you'd need to build trust with to make an impact with your product. 
the community in itself is very important to us at Upstart Ed because all of the programs that we deliver, we are leveraging the community to enable that delivery. As I mentioned to you in the first part of this uh, episode, we actually recruit facilitators from the community. And these FASIs come from everywhere. They're students or they're working professionals. And so we train them and then they get to interact with our students. Um, and ultimately they come to Upstart Ed because they believe in the mission and they're aligned with our values. And so they learn by giving back, you know, through giving back and, and connecting with these young people. So it's so important for us to build that trust with the community um, because ultimately we wouldn't be able to do what we do if it was just, you know, the seven of us that currently, you know, the seven of us employed by Upstart Ed. It's mm. about building that trust within the community. Another piece critical is trust with teachers. Because what people have to understand is that teachers open up their classrooms and welcome us in. But even that has been a journey that's taken years. And I get it. You know, who are these random people, upstart whatever, start the pad, the upstarts, blah, 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 you know? And, and why, why should they be coming into And who are these random fassies? And the CEO doesn't even have a master's in education. And uh -huh. I get it. You know, like they're... And the, the teacher's job at the end of the day is to protect the students and to set, you know, to, yeah, to look after them, to make sure that uh, the people that they interact with are um, legit and that they're not going to compromise the students in any way. How did you so, manage to develop that then? When, yeah. when was the first teacher to upstart ed relationship formed? In 2016. And this oh, is where okay. we it's been a journey and why nonprofit for us at our age has been challenging is looking back, it's like, we missed a lot of the building blocks. We missed having a lot of experience in education. We didn't necessarily have a network of educators to start off with. Um, we didn't have corporate connections. We didn't understand how grants work. We knew nothing and we still, well, we, we figured it out. Thanks to the team going back to where you should start the team was made it happen. And the teachers, the very first teachers who came on board were actually um, teachers of like Abdal and, oh. you know, people who were like involved in the first event. So it was about like, oh, hey, you know, Mrs. XYZ, remember me? You know, do you want to <laughs> share this with your students? And we, we really leveraged that trust, the existing trust. And in that way, kind of new relationships bloomed and other teachers took a chance. They opened up their classrooms. We did one, two, three things. And eventually they said like, okay, yeah, you know what? You're bringing value. We want to see you come back. And by earning that trust, now we have some amazing champions who've seen us grow, who've seen our curriculum develop and who are now supporting us as we expand in, in Canada. So Right. Teachers are everything and you, we need their support because ultimately we're serving their students and we're serving them. So we needed their trust. So to summarize, it's really important to establish that trust between you and your audience and also to respect that ongoing trust to make a true impact. And so some really helpful questions are, who is your audience? Who do you want to serve? And then to find people within your immediate network or your close network who are the easiest people to actually get on board your idea. And now we're going to jump into the logistics of non-for-profits, so the legal stuff and the funding. 
you do have certain um, responsibilities, legal responsibilities, financial responsibilities when you apply to become a nonprofit. So I would just say to anyone that, you know, if you're going to commit to incorporating your idea, just make sure to do the research, look it up online, listen to a video. If you can, go, go to a free legal, clean, legal clinic and understand what are the implications. So I just quickly googled the ones in Melbourne, and there seems to be quite a few. So the one in front of me is Justice Connect, and it says they have a not-for-profit law service, which is pretty cool. So if you're ever a bit paranoid and you don't want to don't want to be a lawbreaker, then yeah, there are so many so many services for you. Because we could have continued operating just as a community group, but ultimately we knew we had to fundraise more. And we wanted to also have the legal protection because, you know, when you're organizing something yourself, it's, it's your name. But if you have an organization that also provides more protection um, from a liability standpoint, and it's really tough as a nonprofit in Canada specifically, because here you also have, you have nonprofits and then you have charities. And so charities, when you have a charity status, you can fundraise a lot more in terms of substantial sums. Nonprofits, you can raise some money, but not as much as a charity, um, just because you're not going to give a tax receipt to the person that's giving you the donation, right? Mm-hmm. So it was a lot of hard work, and even now today, we are we have these strong relationships with our with our partners, but it's taken four years, four years to develop, to build trust, to really keep inching forward in terms of the support that we can get. And it is why we really try year over year to keep the same partners because it's not about, we learned early on, it's not about one-time donation. When you're a young nonprofit, you kind of take the money wherever it comes from and you have to, right? Just to be able to, to get started. But ultimately what I advise people now is to find two, three partners that you really want to, that align with your values, that align with your mission, that you can build a relationship with, and that you can reciprocate. So our partners today, the people that fund our work, are also the organizations that help us build curriculum. When we talk about the UNSDGs, when we talk about AI, when we talk about uh, you know cybersecurity or cryptocurrency, we're not all experts, the, you know, the, the tiny team at Upstarted, we're not experts in all these topics. But we have these relationships with our partners where, you know, we sit down with them and say, hey, what's happening in your industry? And, you know, what are some skills you see your recent employees lacking? And so in that way, we're always connected to what's happening in the real world, right? In the workforce um, and industry. We adapt what the programs that we can offer, make them relevant for education. And in that way, I think it's a two-way street in terms of value. And we have... Uh, our partners engaging as facilitators and speakers. So it's more than just money. Um, obviously, the finances piece is the biggest one. It's just, I think Upstarted has become sustainable because we've been thinking about that two-way value as opposed to just asking for donations for the sake of donations. And now we're going to quickly cover the idea of mentoring, which I think is so, so valuable. I finally started learning a little bit through a mentor. So that would be, I would say, a concrete piece of advice is try to find someone who has has maybe two or three years um, of additional experience 
because I've spoken to nonprofit leaders that have, you know, 10 years additional experience, Mm -hmm. but they're a little bit removed from my reality. And so I have a mentor in Montreal. She is a wonderful woman and her nonprofit is three or four years ahead, maybe three. And so having regular check-ins, asking her, hey, how do you fund operations? What are some things we should be looking out for that's important? And if you want a mentor, I would highly recommend before you do anything and ask anyone to listen to the Jordan Harbinger Show, episode 49. He interviews Alex Banyan and the topic is why mentors are important and how to get one. It basically covered all my questions and I love it. This is where I do recommend taking the time to understand how nonprofits work in your country, in your region, seeing what are some successful nonprofits, for how long have they been around, and maybe trying to connect with the ones that are still young. Because a nonprofit like Upstart Ed is going to be very different from a nonprofit that's been around for 20 years. They have reliable government funding or big donors. We have to be like, you know, young, scrappy, and hungry and just figure it out. (laughs) It's a different kind of muscle mm-hmm. that we have to build. For sure. And if there's a mistake that you've made in the past or something that you just wouldn't want to repeat again that you've learned since doing it, is there anything that you can share? Honestly, I, I wouldn't say so because I, I love making a mistake. Well, I don't love making mistakes. <laughs> but every single mistake I've made, I have had such a valuable lesson from it. And I think maybe that's, that's the key is accepting to learn from those mistakes. And so for those people who are struggling, who are in the process of a non-for-profit or who are daunted by the idea, they want to start it, but there's just a lot of resistance. What would you, key Deanna advice that you would just say to them? (laughs) Do one thing, something small, something that doesn't take too many resources to put together. Just do the one thing for your stakeholder, even before you incorporate, put something out in the world and see if it's valuable. If it is valuable, you're onto something. So you should put more time and effort towards it. Mm -hmm. If you don't hear back from people saying, I want more, that's okay. Go back to the drawing board. Try something else, something small, put it out there. From day one, we didn't come into this saying, you know, we want to have served thousands of kids with this kind of program. We just, we just ran an event and we prototyped. So that would be my advice. Start with something small, prototype it, see if there's value. If there is, then commit to it and, and see how you can scale that impact. Hope you're enjoying the episode so far. So now we're talking about the board of directors, which is very important for non-for-profits. Board of directors, and Mm -hmm. they are different from your sponsors. They're different from the people that you've talked about in this episode. Who who are they? Are they just a mysterious person that's been like, listen to me, (laughs) witch? (laughs) No, no, no. I mean, you know, traditionally, I I knew nothing about uh, boards of directors before Upstart Ed, and it's been a journey. And this is why I said um, really understanding the responsibilities of that nonprofit um, legal entity. The board of directors is a big responsibility. It's a recent one that we've engaged in here at Upstart Ed. 
um, the board has the kind of a fiduciary responsibility to make sure that the organization persists, that we keep meeting our mission. And so um, they have the power to fire me. Like, and at the end of the day, if I'm no longer the best person to serve Upstart Ed, even though I had the idea from day one, if they believe I'm not the pers best person to lead this organization, they could always make a case to have me step down. And are they okay. employed by Upstart Ed or are they separate from Upstart Ed? So they are not technically employed. That just so uh, organizations have these things called bylaws. Nonprofits have bylaws, and then in the bylaws, you can specify if that is a paid position or a voluntary position. For us, it is a voluntary position. It's made up of individuals, at least at Upstart Ed, who believe in our mission, who've worked with us before, and who want to genuinely see Upstart Ed succeed, who have connections to the community, and so. Every three months, in our case, it's every three months, we have something called a board meeting. And so you come, prepared, you present what you have to say about the status of the organization. They will challenge you on different pieces. You have to defend. Um, you have to present things like your budget. Um, you know, where is the money going? How are you meeting your objectives, your KPIs? So the board is really there to keep you accountable. And it's why we decided as an organization to finally put our board together because here in Canada, um, to access higher tiers of funding, you need to have that, you know, group keeping you accountable. So yeah. it's it's to say that sure you're accessing that funding, but ultimately you have a you know a group of people saying, are you using the money wisely? And we're not running, you know, like. <laughs> So if you're on the podcast version, Deanna just imitated running off with money, but in the classic rucksack that no one ever uses, but we all know what it is. And then I started thinking, well, what's the modern version? And it would just be someone running off with a credit card, which that's just boring. Okay. <laughs> so basically the board of directors to a sponsor is more um, appealing because now they know that Upstart Ed is not just run by, yeah, by uh, individual interests, but because they have to please a board of directors too, that the sponsors would be like, oh, okay, I can see that. Them. Yes, yes, exactly. <clears throat> it's to say that there's some oversight and there's some checks and balances. And so, um, and also it's a, it's a signal that the organization is mature enough to have that board because it is going after additional funding. And it's also a signal that you have people committed to making the organization succeed and not just the founders. So it works at many different levels. In my advice to people who, who need to have a board of directors with this model where, you know, they're providing these checks and balances, the very first board you put together, you get to decide who to invite. But based on our bylaws, then the, 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 the ball is in their court. And so it's going to be them deciding who comes next. And so it's really important that the first people that join this board are people you trust that are aligned with your values. The same kind of concept around finding your team. It's really critical because at the end of the day, you know, the board really has, at least here in Canada, has the, the legal rights to, to say, we want to change the CEO. Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> You're like, don't look at me. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, but I see. So you chose these people 
they mm-hmm. might have been like colleagues of yours or um, is that right? Like, is that how you sort of found them? They, they were actually, um, for, for us, it was a community of individuals who we have someone who was a student with Upstarted, uh, teachers that we've worked with, educators. We also have people who've uh, spoken at our events and become real champions. Mm. So if you go on our website under the About Us page, you can actually find these individuals and where they're from. But they, in a sense, represent the stakeholders that we're trying to serve. And I so. See. Yeah, we put this board together, but for the next board, it's at this point, it's out of our control. And so we have to have faith that the outgoing board of directors, these they have a one-year term within Upstart Ed. So it's up to them to decide who is a good fit to continue on the board. Thanks so much for sticking around. So this is the last bit of the episode, and we're just going to condense all the theory that Deanna's taught us into a practical, fun little scenario there is a a little fun scenario that I just want to end us with and this sure. is a practical one because I love practical stuff sure it is going to be let's build a non-for-profit together okay <laughs> cool. okay and it's just going to be basically condensing what we've just discussed like what we've just learned from what you've said and applying it now into one that we're going to build together so um what's your favorite animal or an animal that you like uh, dog dog okay easy so we're gonna be rehoming some dog toys that um, we want to distribute to um, childcare centers or schools something like that so there are a lot of elements in there and yes. so number one and I'm I just want to quiz the listeners because <laughs> if there's one thing that you've emphasized Deanna <laughs> and listeners the one thing that uh, Deanna has emphasized is the team I think yeah. from what yes. I've learned as well. A thousand percent. A thousand percent. <laughs> number one, and would you, and correct me as we go, and we're going to be doing this together, I would at least say, first of all, find someone who's uh, passionate about childcare centres or the, the reason why you want children to have toys in the first place is like, this, is it the satisfaction of seeing kids happy or um, what is it? And trying to find people that align with you. Would you like to add on to that? <laughs> exactly. And asking the people who are interested or have that alignment, why? What is your story? Hear their story. Because that's going to be telling you things. Sometimes you have people saying, uh, oh, just because I find it interesting. Oops. Beep, beep, beep. Yeah. Like that's a red flag. <laughs> so there we go. But keep, mm. keep looking. Yes. But, you know, hear that story. Find out what's their personal why. Very interesting. Yeah. So you've, let's say that you've gone through interviews. It's taken a long time. As you were saying, they might've like considered to drop out at any point. Like I can't find my tribe, but they managed to, they found a few people who were interested in the mission that they want to achieve. So now that they've found their team, they have no funding. I would say hypothetically, They might not have too much money. I remember you saying that you had invested your savings into that. In 2018, but at the beginning we had zero. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's just say, yeah, they basically need to live and survive. So they're going to keep their money for themselves, at least in the start. Mm -hmm. Number one step now to having since founded a team, what would the next step be? Create something that doesn't require 
like crazy costs, you know, um, and just put something out in the world. Like for us, that event that we did, the budget was maybe $500. And even that we could have done with far less. It was about, you know, finding a free space, um, finding the teachers, finding the kids, bringing them together. We could have told the students at the time, bring your own materials. We could have done it. So figure out what you want that MVP, that prototype to be. So MVP, like what we just discussed the last episode, is the minimum viable product. So it's something, a product with the least amount of costs and the least functions that can still help the people that you want to help, which is basically perfect for prototyping and to have a solid foundation before you work your way up. And try to do it with as little budget as possible, because the whole point is just to test that idea. Right. So in the con- context of this, if we're rehoming dog toys... <laughs> they came up from, in my mind like one day and I just thought, this is a good idea. Rehoming <laughs> yeah, dog toys. And so you've planned, okay, I want to collect, maybe the event will be, I'll have a, a pile of dog toys that we've collected from people who um, have mm-hmm. kindly donated, for example. Maybe yes. we're aiming it at the children, potentially. Mm-hmm. I guess that's also a thing to consider, right, is to, what who is this event for like who are we specifically targeting for this event is it the children or is it the parents of the children or is it the childcare center like owners and that exactly. sort of stuff too i think that's also yeah really important yeah, thing exactly understanding who who it's for is really critical because then it's going to change the questions for example in the concept of like rehoming dog toys should children even play with toys that have been chewed by dogs and they haven't been cleaned before, you know. So they're they're oh, all the. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Sorry. Is that what rehoming dog toys mean? Like, yeah. as in, oh my gosh! As in, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I get it. Oh, I get it. Like toy dogs. Oh, are doggy toys? I should have like, said it the other way around. Now that I realized it. Oh yeah, no, toy dogs. Toy dogs, not dog. Oh, I'm so stupid. <laughs> No, no, it's okay. We can redo this bit if you want. No, no, no. I love this. We're keeping it for sure. People <laughs> know, my listeners know that I'm just not quite there all the time. So, no, okay, do. okay, got it. Dog, dog oh, toys. Toy dogs, toy dogs. Oh, toy dogs. <laughs> this yeah, is okay. too good. I love this segment too much to just edit it out. The, the real time just confusion. I love it. Let's move on. But yeah, let's say toy dogs, then. Yeah, no, that would be great to to see who it's aimed at and understand um, what is the best distribution. But ultimately, if it's just about getting those toys into the hands of children, is really asking maybe starting with a shelter or um, identify what's the focal point. You know, so for us, for students, it was through schools and teachers. We considered parents, but it's just harder to reach parents. So we were like, what's the lowest hanging fruit? And so we went through schools and teachers. Oh, well, that was hard too. Mm. So that should be part of the reflection. So this next bit you've already heard before because I put it in earlier, but because it's so important, I'm just going to leave it in here. It's a bit dangerous when you spend so much time planning something, just assuming that it's going to be valuable and then nobody shows up or nobody uses it or, you know, so just be comfortable in having those interviews, having those conversations. Um, and there are smaller ways to prototype, even a Google form. Like nowadays, before we launch new programs, we have this habit of 
asking people for feedback. What are your needs? What don't you have? So engage, those are the conversations which then will tell you, yes, there's a need. This is what that solution could potentially look like. Let me prototype and let me test it. So the user will tell you, um, they will tell you what they need. And then you'll be able to use those needs as constraints or just signals to build the prototype, the product, service, whatnot. Yeah, incredible. Again, a huge thank you for jumping on two episodes as well. That's just really, really, I'm really super grateful. And so with Upside Ed and with you, if you want to share your details as well, where can people find your work? Yes, thank you. And thank you for the opportunity. I, I love talking about this and the story is always changing and evolving and it's it's such a privilege to get to share it. So thank you so much, Joe. Um, in terms of where to find this, we are on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, but the Instagram page isn't that great because we don't have a full-time marketing person, no. uh, startup challenges. But yeah, we're on LinkedIn. Find us on our website, upstarted.org. And uh, you can find me on LinkedIn as well. Feel free to reach out for a conversation for a virtual coffee. Yeah. And I'd be glad to connect. Yeah.